And I'd like to start this morning by asking you a question. Um, how prepared are you to suffer for Jesus Christ? How prepared are you to suffer for Jesus Christ? Now, I'm conscious that's quite a heavy question for a Sunday morning. Some of you might be thinking, well, I've suffered enough already just trying to get to church on time. But this, I suggest, is a really important question for us to consider, especially for those of us who have been following our sermon series through 1 Peter, because we have been seeing how suffering for the name of Jesus Christ is part and parcel of the Christian life. And the question is, are we ready for that? Not just ready for that in the sense of expectations, to expect it, but ready for it in the sense of, well, how do we cope with it when it happens? And how do we stand fast for Jesus Christ? And how do we keep living for him when we feel the pressure not to? Don't know if you saw um, last week, um, Dr. Jules Gomez um, banned from giving a public lecture on transgenderism um, in, to the Oxford men's group in the local um, city hall. Um, Dr. Gomez is no mug. He is a scholar of Indian origin. He has a doctorate from Cambridge University, but he was banned for his Christian views. Um, he was banned from giving this public lecture with only two days' notice because Oxford City Council thought that he was a threat to their policy of valuing diversity. Somewhat ironic, given the council themselves clearly don't really value diversity when it comes to Christian views or the teaching of the, of the Bible. That was last week. This week, just gone, on Wednesday, the magistrate, Richard Page, who I mentioned earlier on in the sermon series, he lost his appeal against the um, Lord Chief Justice, the Lord Chancellor, when they removed him uh, from him, the judiciary and removed him from his role and the, at the NHS Trust for expressing his Christian beliefs on a TV program. Uh, in the ruling, uh, Justice Chowdhury said it was not Richard's belief but rather the fact that he expressed his belief that led to his removal. In other words, beware of expressing your Christian beliefs in public if this is potentially now what can happen to you. And now this is just the last two weeks. Last week, this week, what is it going to be next week? Are you ready for this? How prepared are you to suffer for Jesus Christ today. Now, it might not be that you suffer in those more extreme examples, but a cold shoulder from a friend, a neighbor, that look of shock on their faces when you express your Christian beliefs, that you hold to the teaching of the Bible on, on sex and marriage, derision, hatred, rejection, may well come your way. How prepared are you for it? Well, look, 1 Peter chapter 1 is here to help us. Peter is writing into a very similar context to the one we find ourselves in uh, today, where Christians are being increasingly pushed out of the public sphere, where they're being slandered, criticized, rejected, but purely because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And Peter writes this letter in this opening chapter to encourage his Christian readers to stand 
fast for Jesus Christ. Verses 1 and 2. Remember who you are. Elect exiles. You may be rejected by society. You are chosen by God. In verses 3 to 9, remember what's coming to you. This living hope, the salvation of your souls, whatever you lose in this life, will be more than made up for in the next life. Now, in verses 10 to 12, Peter wants his readers and us today to see just how privileged the Christian believer is. Just how privileged we are historically with respect to the prophets, cosmically with respect to the angels. It might be something you don't think about very much. I don't. You think about the privilege of your salvation. The prophets, the angels. How does that work? Well, let's see now. Peter wants us to see that even though we may feel more and more pushed to the margins of society, to be a Christian believer is to be right at the heart of God's purposes for the universe. First of all, the historic privilege of salvation. Now, we're going to see this in two parts. We'll spend the majority of our time here. Verses 10 to 11, in what the prophets searched for. And then in verse 12, in who the prophets were serving. First, in what the prophets searched for. Verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. Here then are the great um, prophets of God from the Old Testament. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Not just them though, all the prophets from Moses through to Malachi. And think of just how privileged these prophets were, that they had God himself speaking to them directly, telling them about the Messiah to come, pointing them to him, in particular, his sufferings and the glory to follow. Think of our Old Testament reading that we had read out, that's Isaiah 53. You may have picked up some things from there, a prophecy about a man of suffering, familiar with pain, who would take up our pain, bear our suffering, pierce for our transgressions, crush for our iniquities, his life, an offering for sin. But after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. That's just one of the prophecies of the sufferings of the Messiah, the glories that were to come, and how the prophets longed for the Messiah's arrival longed for this day of salvation when finally humanity's greatest problem, the problem of sin, this curse of sin that has plagued humanity all the way back since Adam and Eve would finally be dealt with. And sin would be paid for and death would be defeated and humanity's relationship with God could be restored. They longed for that day. They searched intently with the greatest care. When would it come? When would the Messiah arrive? But ultimately, they would search in vain. Because as Peter puts it in verse 10, this salvation that the prophets spoke about, this grace was to come to you. His Christian readers. And every other person born after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus says in Matthew's gospel, blessed are your eyes because your eyes see and your ears hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Earlier this year, YouGov um, conducted a poll asking people whether they thought life was better now in 2019 compared to other decades um, going back to the 1700s. And what was interesting about this poll was how far back you had to go before people were pretty confident. More than 50% of people said actually today was better. People said 2000s was better than today, 1990s, 1980s, 1970s were better than today. In fact, you had to go all the way back to the 1950s, which wasn't too long after the Second World War, when people would start saying, oh, no, no, life is actually better today. And there are one or two people who said the 1700s were better than today. Now, I don't know if that's you, if you agree with that or not, but isn't there not something deep in the human heart which makes us think that the grass is always greener on the other side or in another era? But Peter wants his readers to know that there is no better time to be alive than now. In the period of history after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if you're a regular here at Inspire St. James, don't be put off by another no to your invite to the week on the green or having a flyer thrown in your face or just laughed out loud at, or worse. Whenever we're feeling it for being a Christian, being pressured, marginalized, rejected, let's remind ourselves just how privileged we are to live in this age of salvation, to know Jesus Christ personally, to have God's grace revealed to us fully. Jesus Christ, the one the prophets pointed to, and we can share in his sufferings, we can experience the power of his resurrection in our lives, you are one of the most privileged people on earth. Or if you're here, Christian here, wondering why God would allow you to suffer for Jesus Christ, why God are you letting this happen to me? Well, look, let's remember what the Spirit of Christ at work in the prophets was pointing towards. The sufferings of the Messiah and the glories to follow. Jesus never asks us to face something that he hasn't already faced himself and we can't even begin to imagine the sufferings of taking God's judgment upon himself for the sin of the whole world. And remember the pattern, sufferings now, glories to come. We may suffer now for the name of Jesus Christ, but only for a little while. And it will all come to an end. And glory will come. Could be or someone here looking into Christian things. Perhaps you're unsure of what you believe, but you are searching intently for the meaning of life looking into it with the greatest care because you know how important it is to know why we're here and what life is about and how do you make sense of all what's good in this world and bad and the, the sufferings and the glory we experience. If that is you, let me invite you to get to know Jesus Christ better. He claims 
to be the very meaning of it all. The very turning point of history. And the saviour that all of us desperately need. The historic privilege of salvation. We see it in what the prophets searched for. We see it also in who the prophets were serving. Verse 12. It was revealed to them, to these Old Testament prophets, that they were not serving themselves, but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Now, because we tend to be so self-focused as individuals, and when we read the Bible for ourselves, we tend to make it all about us and place us in the center of the story. But as we've just seen, the center of the Bible story is Jesus Christ, his sufferings, his glories. But when a particular verse of the Bible does make it about us, we can make it about us. And did you notice how the word you comes up three times in verse 12? The prophets weren't serving themselves, but you. What they spoke about all those centuries ago is the same gospel message you heard today. The same spirit at work in them is the same spirit who spoke the message to you. In other words, Peter is saying to his readers, do you see just how privileged you are? To be part of this bigger story, a story that stretches all the way back throughout the Old Testament, through all the Old Testament prophets, and the work of the Spirit, and the hope of Israel, and the salvation of the whole world. You are now a part of this bigger picture, this greater story. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the four Fevensey children, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy, they're evacuated from London in the time of the Blitz. And they get sent to an old professor's house in the countryside. And they're exploring his house. And they come across this magic wardrobe that transports them to this wonderful land of Narnia. And they're befriended by Mr. Beaver. And he takes them to their home and tells them about the white witch who has brought this curse upon the land. And it's always winter and there will never be Christmas. But then Mr. Beaver and his wife talk to them about a prophecy about a great lion, Aslan, who would come to defeat the witch, and about two sons of Adam and two daughters of Eve who will sit one day on the four thrones of Ker Paravel and the witch's tyranny will come to an end. And as the story continues, these four children realize that this prophecy is speaking about them, that they are these four children, these four people, these sons of Adam, these daughters of Eve who will sit on the throne and they are part of this greater story. And the significance it bestows upon them. And as they go back to London, wartime London, the strength it gives them to make a difference. Can I ask, do you see how privileged you and I are? If you are trusting in Jesus Christ to be part of not just any old story, but the greatest story of all. God's salvation plan for the whole world. When we suffer for the name of Jesus Christ, we feel pain. We feel fear. We feel anxiety. We probably don't feel very special in society right now as Christians. Perhaps you come to church this morning 
and you're feeling there's not much to celebrate in your life right now, but don't you see? To be part of God's story is to always have something to celebrate. To be saved by God, to have the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, is to have an infinite significance bestowed upon you. And it can give you the strength to face anything. How <sighs> we need this, this bigger picture, this meta-narrative in society right now. Because no one can live with incoherence. No one can live with the idea that we've come from nowhere, that we're going to nowhere. That you and I are nothing more than an accidental collection of atoms soon to be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. It doesn't exactly put a spring in your step, does it? People say there's no God. People say we don't need God. As if there's no bigger picture to our lives. And yet with their next breath they say, don't worry, it will all work out in the end. People will get their just desserts. Good will win out over evil because <laughs> deep down we know we need a bigger picture to our lives. And the Apostle Peter is saying you can be absolutely certain of that bigger picture. That bigger narrative because the Messiah has come. The one who the prophets pointed to. The one who the apostles preached about. His name is Jesus Christ. He is here. Do you know him? Do you know him? If you don't, you can know him right now and be part of this story because the same spirit of Christ who spoke through the Old Testament prophets and spoke through the New Testament apostles is the same spirit of Christ who continues to speak through preachers of the gospel today. If this sermon is touching you, speaking to you, know that is not me. That is the Holy Spirit speaking to you drawing you to Jesus Christ. Come to him. Confess your sin. Receive his forgiveness. Be part of the greatest story of all. And play your role in it. For those of us who do know Jesus already, well, let's never take him or his salvation for granted. And how often we do take him for granted. But there is no greater privilege in the whole universe. And that's not all. There's more to come. We've still got those eight words at the end of verse 12. Almost a throwaway comment from the Apostle Peter, but so rich in meaning. Even angels long to look into these things. Not just the historic privilege of salvation, the cosmic privilege of salvation. Even angels long to look into it, what it means to be saved by God, to experience salvation personally. This is a remarkable statement, um, which we can only touch on briefly now. But let's think about it for the moment, angels. Incredibly majestic and holy beings. Whenever someone meets an angel in the Bible, what's their first reaction? Fear. Think of the privileged role angels have in salvation, announcing the birth of the Messiah. They're at the tomb after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not just that, think about 
where they are angels, they're constantly living in God's eternal presence around the throne of God, singing his praises. You probably think to yourself, surely there's nothing that angels lack. And yet, something has happened on earth in space-time history so magnificent, so marvelous, so extraordinary that even these immortal and glorious beings long to look into it. And it is the experience of salvation. I don't know if that's something you've thought about before. I know I hadn't really before preaching on this, but the cosmic privilege of salvation. We get to experience personally what angels long to look into. I was reading an article this week about a pastor from Hawaii who went to visit some Christians in China to give them some teaching from to Peter, the Apostle Peter's second letter. And as he started to, to read the passage, he realized there weren't enough Bibles um, to go around. Um, everyone, not nearly enough. Um, but he also noticed how uh, one of the women there, sort of read, having read the passage, um, passed it on to the next person who read the passage, who passed it on quickly to the next person. And, and he was like a bit like, amused by that and said, like, what are you doing? And she goes, oh, I've memorized the passage. I'm passing it on to the next person to memorize it as well. And he was like, what? He goes, yeah, no, no, we've memorized the passage. He said, well, how do you do that so quickly? And she goes, oh, well, look, when you're in prison for Jesus Christ, they don't allow you any Bibles. And so people try and give us little excerpts from the Bible written on toilet paper. And so we read it really quickly, memorize it, eat the toilet paper, or try and get rid of it as fast as possible so we don't get caught. And that's how we can memorize this, you know, the Bible so quickly. And the pastor was astounded. He couldn't believe it. He thought back to Hawaii, the U.S., same for us here in the U.K., the amount of Bibles there are in each people's homes and how little is known about it. But here with these Christians in China who were literally devouring God's scriptures, to plant God's word deep in their hearts because they realize how privileged salvation is. To know Jesus Christ. And they wanted to know him better. And that's how you get to know him better. Through the words of scripture. And I wonder if we see half as much how privileged we are here in London. Cosmically speaking. Angels long to look into these things. And we get to experience it personally. The joy of salvation, knowing Jesus more and more, having his power at work in us. And of course, the more we know Jesus and love him, and the more we appreciate all that he has done for us and is doing in us, then the more we'll live for him, the more we'll take risks for him, the more we will suffer for him. Who knows? The more likely we'll go to prison and die for him. But this is how we are going to be ready to suffer. This is how we're going to be prepared to suffer for Jesus Christ if we remember the huge privilege it is to be saved by him historically, cosmically. It might not seem like you and I are that privileged at times. It might seem that Christians are being increasingly pushed to the margins of society. But to be part of God's salvation plan really is to be at the center of God's purposes for history. It really is the case 
that there is no one more privileged than you. So keep living for Jesus Christ. Keep standing up for him in the week ahead. And keep doing so no matter the cost to you. Well, let me stop there. Let me pray that for us. Let me pray now. Father God, we thank you again for all these rich truths you are showing us from 1 Peter and today. The sheer privilege of being known and loved and saved by you. That you died for us, that you rose for us. This privilege we see historically through the prophets, cosmically through the angels. Would we long to know you better? Would we long to appreciate more and more what you have done for us that we may, we may live more for you and take risks for you and suffer more for you? And we ask it all for Jesus' sake. Amen.